Hello and welcome to the BBC Good Food Podcast with me, Tom Kerridge. My name is Orlando Murrin and I'm hosting the BBC Good Food Podcast with Tom Kerridge. And today we're talking about Easter. Now, Tom, what do you do with your family at Easter? For me, it's kind of like, okay, my little man's got two weeks off school. What should we do? You know, is there space? What is there points for us to go away? And I think that's probably like a lot, uh, a lot of people. However, there is that Easter Sunday where you just go, okay, I mean, lamb is the thing that you cook, isn't it? That's the thing that everybody knows. Lamb, like in the butcher shop that we own, lamb goes bananas and everybody wants, whether it whether it's shoulders, whether it's legs of lamb, whether it's racks, everybody wants to cook something amazing lamb based on that Sunday lunch. And I'm no different to that because it just feels like it's one of those kind of traditions that you, you, you just get on and do and go with and i mean and who doesn't love lamb it's just absolutely delicious particularly like slow cooked lamb the flavors are incredible it's a wonderful thing and i mean lamb and chocolate are the two great things about easter not together though not at the same time (laughs) lamb with chocolate sauce now that now there's an idea um the day however starts with chocolate i'm going to talk to you about lamb again in a minute but it surely starts off with some a delightful giant easter exchange of easter eggs or are they concealed around the carriage household in hidden, hidden behind sculptures yeah no but honestly yeah obviously like like every child my little man loves chocolate and sweet things so yeah easter he looks forward to massively so uh, and so but we do do we will do an easter egg hunt we will put them in the garden we will go and uh hide them up and about inside bushes and bits and bobs and then we'll go on a big trail around the garden getting in to try and find them which is which is always good fun but you know particularly if it's raining <laughs> yeah exactly in the, in the pouring rain yeah and then will 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 AC eat so many that he gets sick or does he have some kind of element of self-restraint i forget how old he is nowadays he, he's six and he's just like his daddy has absolutely no idea on self-restraint he's uh, <laughs> he's a he's a six-year-old extreme child so like if you put eight easter eggs in front of him he'd eat all eight of them so we got you, you've got to kind of like just put uh, you know we've got to try and try and go no listen mate just only have half of it now you can have half of it later and then keep them hidden in cupboards or do whatever else <laughs> so it's just not like a full-on chocolate easter egg fest that goes on in one day and then he's just done so yeah it's it, it, it we, we, we try and put a little bit of restraint in there. But as you're bringing him up as a young gourmet, do I take it that all his Easter eggs are 70% cocoa solids or more? No. Oh, my God, no. <laughs> it would be lovely if they were, but no. I mean, he likes he likes the same ones as everybody else, that kind of um, milk chocolate that's not really that chocolatey, that's just sweet and just, you know, the st- same sort. The, the, posh, the posh Easter egg, uh, I normally get one for Beth, and then, you know, that that's normally a nice 70% percent chocolate one with some lovely chocolates around it the ones that he won't go near and what about you what 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 do they easter egg do they give you a 90 percent cocoa solids yeah I, I mean best normally quite good at finding a super posh one like something like something i'd rather have one really nice one than like six like sweet chocolatey rich one i'd rather have one that's really beautiful well looked after beautifully made so yeah and there, there's nothing wrong with them and, and do you know what a lot of people want chocolate 
particularly when it's top chocolate, it needs to be at room temperature. And they talk about letting the, the uh, maybe the citrus or the fruit notes that through the cocoa beans sing and what all of that. Me, straight from the fridge, crisp, cold chocolate with a hot coffee. I love it. Yeah, there's something about the way that it melts when you eat it. It's one of those foods that changes its state as you as you eat it. Yeah, te- temperature with so many different foods makes a big, big difference, you know. But I, I, do, I do love that chocolate works really well. There's something quite rich and velvety about it. But if you've got those lovely bitter tastes to it, particularly in a dark chocolate, it goes so well with like a good strong black coffee. I, lo- I love that flavour. What about milk chocolate generally? Because it, one tends to be a bit stuck up about milk chocolate because one ate it as a kid and white chocolate as well. Um, and yet very good f- versions of those chocolates are, are perfectly acceptable, aren't they? Do, do you they use are. them you, in the kitchen? Yeah, you can get exceptionally good milk chocolates. You know, they're beautiful, they're rich, they're, they, they taste of chocolate, but they also have that kind of... Um, they do have that sweetness. The thing that everybody has that appeal with with milk chocolate. The thing that people keep going back to is is that rich, creamy um, uh, uh, sweetness that you get from it. But if you choose a good one, it does. Have, you can taste like kind of like the different notes and tones that you can get from cocoa beans. It, you know, it doesn't always have to be overly sugar. You know, it can still be um, it can still be thirty five percent ish cocoa solids with. with um, cocoa butter it could just be less in the amount of sugar so it's still quite milky it does need to be sweet because that's the bit that you get that kind of velvety luxury kind of experience with it but it doesn't have to be just so it's sugary sweet and doesn't taste of anything and then when it comes to white chocolate i'm not a massive white chocolate fan i gotta be honest it's just mostly i mean it's it's cocoa butter that's sweetened but the beautiful thing about it is you can do really nice things so you can grill it so and bake it and it caramelizes and it's got a lovely tone then the sugars that go caramelly all of a sudden it tastes you know caramelized white chocolate is amazing so in the restaurant at easter will you be putting on extra chocolate desserts or do you always have lots of chocolate desserts anyway we don't have like a christmas menu we have seasonal we have things that are you know east is lovely because it is that kind of springtime you know you've got wonderful uh lovely green vegetables that are coming through you've got um, fantastic mushrooms you know morel mushrooms are around at that point you've got um you have got beautiful lamb that's that's coming through and uh, so we don't really then just go it's easter let's put extra chocolate dishes on an extra lamb we just go actually what is it what is seasonal right now what's in there and what happens we may the sunday lunch um at, may, at one of the other places maybe the bull and bear or the coach we may have like the roast beef and yorkshire pudding as normal but we may put like a beautiful roast leg of lamb on or something like that as an extra that's cooked on the rotisserie just so that if you're out for that easter sunday lunch you do have a nod to that lamb and mint sauce you know the classic combination that everybody loves mint sauce is quite polarizing are you a fan of, of mint sauce massive i love mint sauce i absolutely think it's fantastic and it comes in various guises as well whether it's the one with like uh, the sugary vinegary um one where you put loads of chopped fresh mint in lovely if you do it as a mint jelly I'm a, i love mint jelly you know like that's a real childhood um memory you know the, the, where you get the, the the mint jelly in a jar and it's got that sweetness it just kind of melts onto the lamb but still with that texture i think it's absolutely beautiful and then even just things like um fresh yogurt with lots 
of chopped mint gone through it that were you know like you'd have with a with, as a side garnish a, a curry house you know those sort of things that work with a beautiful lamb madras that kind of that acidity uh, that you get from a dairy acidity with yogurt mixed with um uh freshly chopped mint maybe a bit of turmeric through it maybe a little pinch of castor sugar mixed together that with 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 some lamb as well it work, works absolutely beautiful and any th- special hints for the lamb gravy because i i think most of us know how to make gravy but we're always looking for something to kind of excite it up for a special occasion yeah lamb lamb gravy is always quite difficult particularly when if you're doing it like in a traditional way you, you can get lamb stock um from the supermarkets but it's quite hard um it, it, it doesn't necessarily have that much flavour. The problem that you get with lamb is it's quite a fatty meat. It's got quite a high fat content. So if you're roasting bones or if you're doing a slow roast of lamb, you're left with quite a lot of fat in the pan afterwards. So it, it's that kind of, um, I would say that a gravy to go with lamb, you want it to be, it doesn't necessarily have to be made with lamb stock. You can make it with chicken stock or beef stock and then have it infused with kind of like hard herbs. So rosemary works very, very, very well with lamb. So you're just trying to create a gravy that's got flavor that doesn't necessarily have to come from lamb bones because it's a little harder, particularly for the home cook to be able to get that across. So I would say, mate, if you're going to make a gravy, make one that's infused with hard herbs because that's the best way of doing it. Hard herbs. I like that expression. So that would be rosemary. Is sage a sage a hard herb? Is no, thyme soft. A, um, thyme, is thyme, thyme, thyme yeah. hard, lemon thyme, rosemary, summer savory, those kind of things that have got, got the like woody, woody woody ones that you would you wouldn't eat. You wouldn't just chop up and eat ones that you could just you, that go through cooking infused like a bouquet garni. You know they, they they go in and 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 infuse those sort of flavors and then soft herbs and things like sage, parsley, coriander, mint, things that go through and they're freshest. You can almost eat as salads if you go in too early. They'll dissolve and and and, and they can almost stew and then their flavors go away. They're the sort of thing. Soft herbs are always the things that you could put in at the end that get, give instant flavor. And with the hard herbs which have gone into the gravy, would you strain the gravy to get them out or would you serve them with small pieces of rosemary in them? No, I in, would def- in the gravy. I would definitely strain it. You don't want those woody bits in it. You you you, you definitely want to pass it through a sieve and, and then so you've just got that infused flavour. A little bit like making a cup of tea, like fresh tea when you've got loose uh, tea leaves and then you pass it through a tea bag, uh, pass it through a tea strainer. Same sort of way. So it's got all that flavour that's gone into it, but you don't want the little bits to get stuck between your teeth. I think that a lot of amateur cooks have a slight resistance to putting things through sieves because it's right, you know, everyone's waiting to eat by the time you're making the gravy and you think, oh, it's another thing to do. But it does raise it right up a level, doesn't it, if you've got some silky smooth sauce rather than some kind of lumpy granular thing, which is, you know, full of bits of rosemary, as you say. Oh, it, 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 it makes it makes a world of difference passing things through a sieve. It really does lift everything to new heights. Um, now, on this lamb, the traditional thing is, of course, a leg of lamb, or you can get some very choice and pricey cuts of lamb racks and things like that. But what can we do um, with the more economical parts of the lamb, like the shoulder or the breast? And how how could we cook them to make something sum- sumptuous for Easter Sunday um, without actually breaking the bank? 
Well, there's good news and bad news on that. I mean, the bad news is that there really isn't now something seen as cheap cuts of meat because, you, you, you know, the, the, the food prices have gone bananas. Things are, are, are really expensive. And lamb has always been traditionally one of those more, more expensive cuts of meat or, or more expensive um, uh, uh, animals. The, the problem that, uh, that you have is that uh, also people have begun to recognise that those so-called lesser cuts that we're, we're trying to look for now, they're the ones that actually, they're the ones with so much flavour. They're the ones that people want. They're the ones that taste fantastic. So breast of lamb is incredible. It's the same as kind of like a pork belly, but you've got to braise them. You've got to slow cook them. It's quite high in fat content. It's one of those ones that um, if you love lamb, it's amazing to use. Um, shoulders, absolutely stunning. Slow cooked again with the bone in as they cook and they dissolve. Like you can put them in the oven for like six hours and they're just amazing. But one of the cuts that is quite often overlooked and you can use it, use it in two ways is neck of lamb now it, it's right at the top of the uh, uh, kind of the saddle and in uh, right at the back end as it goes in now it can be used you can cook it and you can cook it medium like you would like a rack of lamb or a saddle of lamb but it also because it's got quite a, a, a good fat content through it it also works really well as a braise so it, it, it it's an absolutely delicious cut of meat to use if you can get they're called middle necks of lamb and they will look long and thin a little bit like lamb fillets and they there's two things you can do with them now you can either braise them and that for me, lamb always works well with kind of, um, I suppose, North African um, spicing, those sorts of flavors, or even Indian spicing. So if you wanted to go do, you know, some, some get some harissa, some, some harissa paste going through it, so some some ducker spice, some so the ideas of going to like North Africa, making those flavours really punchy, the cinnamon, the, the and using chickpeas and doing a braise of it so you can cook, sear up the lamb, um, loads of onion, loads and loads of onion, loads and loads of garlic, preserved lemon, tins of chickpeas, and then put the lamb into a pot with the chickpeas, some stock, and you can use chicken stock tin tomatoes and then just bring it up to the boil put in a load of chopped preserved lemon um so a kind of tied together bunch of um rosemary put a lid on bring it up to the boil and then just slow slow cook it for three or four hours absolutely amazing and you just get these kind of wonderful north african smells flavors mixed together beautiful way of cooking it or you can marinate it with a beautiful kind of star, um, Indian style curry spice um, and almost like a dry rub. So you cure it. And if you can leave it marinated for three or four hours in this dry rub, the lamb necks, and then they would work really well on a barbecue uh, or on a char grill. And you can roast them up and they get release the smells, the flavors. It's absolutely stunning. And then slice them so that you cook. You want to cook them to medium and then serve that with a, an amazing kind of like raw fennel, pomegranate style salad. Something like that is amazing with a yogurt dressing and just try and lighten it up a little bit so you've got two options there you can but both using the same cut the middle neck of lamb so slow braise with 
chickpeas and uh, North, North African kind of spicing or a curry kind of dry rub marinade, a little bit like you do um, dry rubs for barbecues, and then sear it up. And you can serve that with a beautiful flatbread and a yogurt dressing. And, and it works so, so well for the it's sliced up, then wrapped in a flatbread that you can make yourself a very, very simple flatbread. Is this the same as a lamb neck fillet? Exactly, is, yes. Is that, and that's a tubular shape, isn't it? So you would keep it whole. You don't have to tie it up or anything. You'd want two or three of them, depending on how large they were, wouldn't you? And then you and then you just slice it. Yeah, once it's cooked, slice it. And and I would even... It's a fabulous cut, yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, in, in even the braise up, you, you sear it up nice and heavy, get loads of colour on it, and then you put it into the in your casserole pot, and then you bring it up to... And braise it as a whole piece. But then when it comes to serving, it will just all break and flake up, and it's absolutely delicious. It's a really, really simple piece of meat to use, but so packed full of flavour. And is compared to lamb fillets and lamb loins, it, it, it's it's much better for them on the pocket. And what would you serve the lamb with? Uh, leeks are traditional, aren't they? But yeah, kind of else? like a leek. I, I mean, both of those dishes, they're they're they're, they're both kind of like spicy and punchy flavours. But if you were just doing a roast leg of lamb or a slow cooked shoulder of lamb, and you just stick it in the oven, like I mean, a very easy one to do is just literally uh, your roasting tray, cut onions in half, and cover it at the bottom of the tray with the onions. You can even keep the skins on; it's no bother. Then put the shoulder of lamb on the top um, bone in give it a good liberal dusting of salt um, and stick it into the oven uh, about 140 150 degrees and leave it in there for four or five hours i mean you'll end up with this just beautiful succulent absolutely delicious lamb and yeah so leeks kind of like in a white sauce they work really really well with that so you cut the leeks into rings um, but i would do it's still quite chunky not thin not like you're trying to do a stir fry give them you know a little bit of texture which works really really well but you've got to remember that it's a it's a, it's a vegetable that contains quite a lot of water so i'd wash them and then i'd blanch them very very quickly and take that just so they've softened just a touch and then you make a really really nice and infused white sauce like a straight roux bechamel sauce um and you could put a pinch of like you could put a little bit of mace in there maybe a little bit of nutmeg um if you want to put a couple of cloves in there as, as it was kind of infusing pass it off and then then add your cooked leeks to the bechamel nice and thick and give it a stir around and then a handful of grated cheddar and then give it a stir around so it's cooked loads of cracked black pepper right at the end serve that on the side with your leeks absolutely delicious when you say pass it off what does pass is that through a fine through a sieve? sieve yeah fantastic well, oh that's our theme today isn't it there you are we've used that sieve twice <laughs> if anyone's i want to say easter present ask for a sieve and it will improve your your cooking now here's a question someone said to me um can you have yorkshire pudding with lamb this is a whole new thing for me. Yorkshire puddings are making a, a, a this tradition. This they're turning up everywhere. I mean, a friend of mine had them on Christmas Day. I mean, you have turkey <laughs> and Yorkshire pudding. What's that about? I mean, I, I, I'm I'm not struggling with it, but I'm just trying to get my head around it. Of course, you can have Yorkshire pudding. You can have Yorkshire pudding with anything. You know, we we make toad in the hole, don't we? You know, you have your somebody said, can you have Yorkshire pudding with sausages? You go, that sounds ridiculous. However, we do it. It's a very famous dish that we just stick the sausages in the Yorkshire pudding it's exactly the same so yeah there would be nothing wrong with having Yorkshire pudding with lamb I'm just trying to get my head round it that it's not being served with beef that's all it's fine okay I'm glad that we've cleared that up 
now, I want to ask you about a very seriously odd piece of Easter cooking, which is our old friend, the Simnor cake, um, which, of course, is, again, quite polarising because it's got all that marzipan in it and some people have to leave the room if marzipan is mentioned. How are you on Simnor cake? I'm a big fan of marzipan. So for me, anything like that is, is amazing. Same as like Christmas cake. When, when it's made, it's got a thick layer of marzipan around the outside and then a really thick layer of like white, crispy, crunchy icing. But I do get why people don't like marzipan. It's very strong in flavour. It's almost sometimes got too much of that almond essence running through it. Do you know what I mean? It's almost slightly too artificial. But for me, I, I'm a big fan of it. I love it. I think it's great stuff. Yeah, marzipan, it wins for me. Marzipan, almonds, I love those flavours. And do you know what? Almonds like that, they would also work really well in the lamb dishes. Both of those lamb dishes that we mentioned, almonds, that you could tie it in so it so it, so it's kind of got a theme rolling through it. And if we were looking for a chocolate dessert to serve after our lamb, um, what, what what would you do this year? So, I mean, you could end up with a load of leftover Easter eggs, couldn't you? You could end up with it. But for me, you you can do a kind of like a very, very simple chocolate mousse. It's very easy to make where you've got to melt the chocolate and whisk up some cream and fold in some egg whites. However, one of the best ones is it's kind of almost like a chocolate fondant. It's a very, very simple one. And you whisk eggs and sugar together and then you melt butter and chocolate. So it's equal parts butter and chocolate, around about 150 grams chocolate 150 grams of butter melted and you whisk up uh, off the top of my head i think it's three eggs and about 75 grams of sugar whole eggs so you whisk the eggs in the sugar melt the chocolate and the butter then mix the two together pour that mix into a mold and then bake it in the oven until it's still until it's wobbly in the middle just cooked around the edges wobbly in the middle remove it from the oven and leave it to sit for around about eight to ten minutes and then get in there, eat it with some d- double cream, cottage cream, ice cream. It's a very, very simple thing to make, but absolutely delicious. And that key, leaving it eight to ten minutes, that's finishing the cooking, is it? Yeah, it just lets everything sit. It just lets everything just continue. So it's not too, it's not, yeah, that, that continuation, that residual heat just begins to permeate and get into the middle and just start to set that chocolate in the middle. But you don't want it set up. Or even if it did set up, it would be absolutely absolutely fine and delicious but if you still just got a little bit of that gooey soft center it's perfect and what's your idea of the perfect chocolate cake what what are you looking for in a chocolate cake that's always quite hard so the thing the best thing about a chocolate cake is always the garnish for me it's the ganache and it's the covering because to make a chocolate sponge if you think of a traditional chocolate sponge it's always very difficult because that the flavor that you're going to get from that essentially is comes from cocoa powder rather than it be because you're trying to create a light fluffy sponge so if you're trying to make a chocolate cake you make that sponge mix it's absolutely fine but where you will get the chocolate flavor and the and the stuff that makes it really delicious is the the icing the buttercream that goes on it with grated chocolate over the top or the ganache that fills through the middle which is kind of essentially chocolate and cream melted together like a thick truffle paste mix and then loads of grated chocolate over the top that's what you want those are where so a chocolate cake light and airy in terms of the sponge not too much in the way of cocoa powder because it can become quite bitter 
but then it's the garnish it's the thickness of the kind of like the outside the the the, the beautiful ganache and, and 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 what you stick on the top and if it's easter you just gotta stick a load of mini eggs in and everyone's happy <laughs> now what were you looking for in a chocolate cookie because cookies are so in nowadays. I mean, in my days, it was biscuits, but now that everything's a great big cookie the size of a plate. Yeah, soft and chewy. That's what you 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 kind. It's kind of that process of a little bit like the chocolate cake, flourless chocolate cake we mentioned before. It goes into the oven. You've got to bake it and cook it, so it has that kind of outer rim that's crisped up just a little bit and cooked. But then you remove it from the oven, so your cookie mix you remove from the oven. Once you make your cookie mix and you roll it and you stick it onto your baking tray, and you want them to be quite thick. As it cooks, it kind of spreads out a bit. And just as the outside begins to set and cook, you move it from the oven, but you don't take them off the tray. So the trick is to leave them on the tray, okay, and to cool down because then the tray is hot. So you'll get that base of it where the cookie is touching the base to be crisp. But there's no more direct heat going into the top. So what happens is that that will allow the middle to stay that little bit chewy. So you know when you get that cookie and you break it and it's almost kind of crunches at the bottom, the flat bottom bit of it, that's because it's being left to cool on the tray, but the top and the middle is still that little bit gooey, little bit chewy. That's exactly what. Fantastic. And do you use in the restaurant chocolate chips or do you use chocolate bars and chop them up? Well, it, it depends most of the time because we, we use, uh, yeah, we use the little pistols, they're called, and they're like, they're almost like chocolate chips. They're, they're, they're in between great big fat buttons and tiny little drops. So that, and, and you can sprinkle them around. They melt quite easily. But if you, if you haven't got hold of them, that's fine. You could just get a bar of chocolate, chop it up, sprinkle it. It would do exactly the same. In some ways, it's even better because it's a bit more rustic and all over the place. And the beautiful thing about cookies is you're not looking for uniformity. You're looking for individuals. And each, if you're chopping chocolate, it will help create individual cookies. Fantastic. Well, uh, to everyone listening, I'd like to wish a very happy Easter. Um, that's been absolutely fascinating, Tom. I, I love the glimpses that we get of your happy household. And happy Easter to you as well and the family. You too, mate. Don't eat too many Easter eggs. <laughs> Thank you very much. And bye-bye, everyone. Thanks for listening to the BBC Good Food Podcast with me, Tom Kerridge. For more brilliant cooking advice, don't miss the quick bonus recipe episode, Let's Cook Together. See you next time.